Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to bring you another guest expert today. Um, I have done my research, but this is actually my first time also meeting with anticipation, Leslie Ford. So let me give you a little bit of background before we dig into our topic today. Leslie is the CEO and founder of Mom's Hierarchy of Needs. Got it right? How can you not love her already? Uh, She has used research to inform growth and innovation strategies for over 20 years. She's held brand management, product marketing, and business development roles in consumer technology, market research, media and publishing companies. And for the past decade, she's been focusing on children's education, mental health, childcare, and elder care. Most recently, she's held leadership positions at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, care.com, C-Space, which is an Omnicore marketing research agency, and she began her brand management career at Bausch & Lomb and Xerox. So interestingly, she's had over 2,500 parents participate in her ongoing national research study on the pandemic's impact on their lives and careers. She's a frequent speaker, researcher, and consultant to organizations such as HubSpot and 3M on how to support parents in the workplace. Her writing about parenting, motherhood, and equity has appeared in the Washington Post, Slate, Parents Magazine, and her website, Mom's Hierarchy of Needs, among among other publications. She's been quoted in New York Times, CNN, National Geographic, Fast Company, U.S. News & World Report, and several others. So when I tell you that I bring the experts, people, I bring the experts, and Leslie is one of them. So welcome to the podcast, Leslie. Thank you. I am excited to be here and looking forward to the conversation. So let's start with, you know, how how is it that a brand manager marketing person decides that you're going to champion the idea of motherhood and uh, equity? What is your sort of legacy story around how that all worked for you? Well, it's funny. Um, I was doing well, I was considering some advisory work for a startup. And the founder, who's a dad, had developed a technology to help manage stress. It was a wearable for stress. And he had asked for some go-to-market strategy support. So when we met, I talked a little bit about the mom's market and how it could be a good entry point. And he said, well, why are moms so stressed? And of course, I laughed and I said, well, how much time do you have? (laughs) And... (laughs) Mind you, he's a he's a dad of three. Um, but I said, you know, there's a Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then there's mom's hierarchy of needs. It just rolled out. And as soon as I said it, I just felt this, like I, I felt it in my body and I drew it on a little piece of paper. And later that night, I was just kind of consumed with the idea of it. Like, what would it look like for other moms? Would it look like this? I turned it into a PowerPoint and the idea just kept 
coming to me. It's like, what would be on other mother's mom's hierarchy of needs? So 150 moms later, because you know I'm a researcher by training, um, I learned and slightly edited it from my original version to look like what it is now. Because for me, that was my light bulb moment. When I realized that I was trying to do the impossible, everything that we would do for our mental, physical, and emotional health up at the top, like interests, learning, self-care, which by the way, in my triangle, that means like sleep and stress management and nutrition, not manicures and spa days, healthy relationships with other adults, including a partner, if you're partnered, like all of those things are way up at the top, but the bottom two thirds, the types of things we really prioritize and hold dear, like our children's milestones and well-being and health, education, the household responsibilities we have, and then our professional role, they're never done. So before kids, like many of us, I was kind of conditioned to believe that there'd be time left over when everything was done at the end of the day. And that's when you would, you know, read that book or go for that run or pursue that PhD, whatever the thing is for you, you kind of condition yourself to take care of everything else first that you prioritize. But when the priority list includes things like never done things, it's an entirely different way of thinking about your time. So suddenly I realized I had to get ruthless about everything in the top third and become incredibly um, judicious about setting boundaries and not only streamlining what I was doing in the bottom two thirds where I could, but just thinking about it all differently. Um, because for many of us, we kind of race through our days. I mean, you're almost like a swimmer, right? You're trying to like shave a few seconds off your time every day. We're moving so fast. We're trying to get everything done. And everything being done isn't possible. So I love all that. I, I, I want to make sure I don't forget to say this one little point because a lot of people listening to my podcast come from um, my psychological training where I'm trained in Adlerian psychology. So for those Adlerians that are listening, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Abraham Maslow is a student of Alfred Adler. So we are absolutely talking about the same, like we, we are in the same wheelhouse here. And as you described that, I identified so much with the, the with the shaving off the time and the recognition that the 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 tasks that are never not done we 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 can't we cannot rely on completeness of one thing to carve out the time for those top thirds i think that's just so brilliant but you've also talked about this not just one woman's way of looking at the needs and changes that we need to make around boundaries for ourselves but there's also uh, people that would argue yeah but you know what culture's against me like you know you specifically you know, the talk about the difference between being a black mother and the, the challenges that differentiate that struggle from somebody else's hierarchy of needs, where we have a, it's a, it's a different storyline. We are not in the same narrative and you want to bring that to the forefront. Absolutely. Well, you know, context is everything. And, you know, women in general are kind of dealt this somewhat, I think, difficult, difficult conundrum, right? We are, given all of these invisible rules about how we're supposed to go through life, how we're supposed to look, how we're supposed to communicate what we need, what's important to us. And by the way, do so in the most polite, pleasing way ever um, without offending anyone. And then, you know, after we kind of, you know, maximize our understanding of these rules and evolve into motherhood, then suddenly you have this impossible set of competing goals, right? You have to manage this experience for your children. You are still trying to manage this experience for yourself. If you're choosing to stay in the paid workforce, the, the nature of many modern professions is that they expect always on availability, right? Which becomes somewhat impossible when you have care for children, um, not, not even to mention the care for yourself, partnership, you know, care for your home, all of those things start to compete. So we have 
those challenges, I think, as women. And then if you further go into the differences for a black mom, a brown mom, um, a mom in the BIPOC community, even a mom who's differently abled, right? Suddenly you have even less of the, you have less of a cohort, right? So you have smaller numbers um, and in many cases, less positional power. So moms that are facing systemic biases or systemic racism, you can't negotiate for your boundaries in the same way as someone who doesn't face those challenges. So I'm sensitive to that, you know, as a, as a black woman, um, my family's from Barbados. I kind of grew up in both countries. So I also come from an immigrant background and the cultural context to how you navigate life and how you decide what's important to you and how you communicate that importance to others really matters. Um, so I think a lot of women start to feel this incredible guilt like they're doing something wrong, like they're like what they're feeling is wrong. And even though they know at a most at the most visceral level that they've been handed a bad deal, they don't want to allow themselves <laughs> to fully just ex experience that mourn the loss of the life that they kind of thought they were going to have once they became mothers and then begin to figure out, well, from this place that I'm at as a woman, or as a woman of color, as a mother, um, as a partner, you know, as a worker, how can I take what I have and optimize my circumstances and make my life more aligned to who I really am as a person, to what's important to me, um, and do so with, you know, with a certain amount of like fidelity and integrity. So during the pandemic, we, we heard a lot about how inequities were exposed, you know, in a, I think, a, you know, a good way. I mean, it's always good to be aware because change always starts with awareness, but in a way that also made me grieve about how still deeply flawed we are in, in, in the way that we manage uh, social equality in our country. And so how, how, you did research during this time. What did you what did you learn and, and where do we go next in terms of making the world better? <laughs> it's, oh, so it's a great question. I now have just over 3000 parents who've participated in the pandemic study since March 30th of 2020. Um, and every three months or four months, I slightly update a few of the questions. So we're now in wave eight of this study. And as you describe, we have this interesting dynamic. I think probably one of the biggest ahas early on in the study is just within the first six months of the pandemic, everyone's priorities changed. If you are facing life or death and you are facing something so like challenging, um, and dramatic, like the pandemic, and figuring out how to keep your family safe, how to keep food on the table, right? How to navigate the grocery store, right? All of these really challenging, um, visceral experiences that we had, it changes you. So suddenly, I think people really wanted to get closer to their ideals, living a life that has purpose, spending their time in ways that matter, in their personal lives and in their professional lives. Um, I've seen moms really saddened by the social inequality that exists, really saddened by, especially moms of color, um, you know, deeply disturbed and saddened by the persistence of racism, um, deeply saddened and concerned by the consistence, uh, persistence of sexism. But what I think is really empowering and exciting is that even moms who are not moms of color, to your point about awareness, suddenly there's this like, you know, beautiful allyship that's coming from a lot of the news and, you know, deeply disturbing events that I think brought the, the like really highlighted how deep these social issues are. And a lot of women realize that, you know what, it's intersectional. A lot of the challenges that we face as women who've been kind of handed a different set of rules in society are being even more deeply felt by 
women who also are women of color and navigating that. So I, I think the positives are women are feeling unwilling to pretend anymore that things are fine. Women are feeling unwilling to be complicit in systems that don't work for them and even systems that don't work for others, even if they have different backgrounds, different race. Um, I'm seeing that in a really powerful way through the study. So, so for you, the study is an optimistic uh, report on that we're at a moment of inflection where people are getting empowered Am I am I surmising that correctly? <laughs> um, well, I wish it, it, I'm going to caveat it sort yeah. of. I mean, there's there's different dimensions to the study um, at, as it relates to macro issues like racism, um, sexism, loss of reproductive choice here in the United States. Mm. It is galvanizing mothers, at least the mothers who participate in the study to deeply care about these issues and put some stake, some personal stake in terms of their time, their voice, their influence into being part of systems change in a way that I think is, is epic, right? And historic. But at the same time, um, mothers are not doing well mentally, emotionally, and physically. Self-care in the study is worse now in the most current wave of the study than it was in the spring of 2020. Um, 86% of the mothers in my current wave say that they are doing terribly or not as well as usual at self-care. So we've had this really prolonged period of self-neglect that is now manifesting in a lack of resilience, a lack of energy, um, deep depression, deep anxiety, burnout, right? All of the things that we're reading about and seeing, you know, for mothers, I'm seeing that worsening in the study, despite some of the positives on the macro. I think maybe I should describe it as like a, a, a commitment to social change and a commitment to being involved in macro issues at a micro level. I would say mothers are not doing well. So I find it so interesting, and I'm curious to see your perspective on this. You know, we have been, how how long have we been saying self-care is not selfish? That when the oxygen masks come down from the plane, you put yours on first before the child. And, you know, um, a, a mother can't provide to her family unless she herself is resourced. And I just, I feel like these are just like, like we've heard it so many times. We can scream it at the top of our lungs, but clearly there is this gap between the knowing and the advice and, and the research that we put before them and the doing, the internalizing. the So what is what in your best guess or research makes us understand what that hurdle is so we can start eroding it? Because it's there. We, we have been giving this advice for a very long time and women are not taking, mothers are not taking it. Oh, absolutely. Well, we're shamed for spending too much time at the top of the mom's hierarchy of needs. And we are praised for spending time in the bottom two thirds. There is a accepted societal norm of self-sacrifice for mothers. We have seen our own mothers in many cases do it. And we've seen our own grandmothers in many cases do it where look at any holiday gathering, family gathering, and what are the mothers doing? They're spinning themselves in circles, making everybody happy, giving everybody what they need, making sure things are clean. Um, and, you know, the gender norm persists in a lot of cultures and in a lot of families. I mean, are the dads doing that? At least in my family, no. And in most families, no. But it's an expectation that we've so deeply internalized because that's what we were raised to do. That's what we are taught the mom job is. And breaking from that is difficult, right? You don't see people on your Instagram feed telling you that they took a nap, <laughs> telling you that they relaxed, right? You see them working hard or spending time with the kids or 
involved in a business trip or or in a fundraiser. They're kind of actively doing and giving and serving, but we are not given the permission in society or rewarded for really fueling our own well-being. And I and that's what I want to change. That's what motivates me to do this work. This is what took me um, from be, being somebody who was just really curious about this and researching it to solve my own problem of burning out when my second child was born and I returned to work and crashed. It took it from this idea and curiosity to me investing in this full time because the problem isn't going away. Um, I've seen women writing about these same dynamics from the 50s, from the 60s. I mean, to your point, we've been getting this advice forever, but until mothers think about our time differently and realize that there is a mom's hierarchy of needs, that anything that you might do in the top third, there's going to be a, a mountain of things competing for that space. I was explaining just, I think this was just about a couple of weeks ago uh, to someone that, you know, you could throw Pelotons at mothers right now. Um, it's not about willpower <laughs> and it's not always even about access. The minute she sits on it, 10 people are going to want something from her. She's going to get a phone call. Someone's going to be looking for something and they can't find it. Someone's going to throw up on her, right? By the time she does all the things that she has to do to just manage that and triage what's coming at her, she'll have like five minutes left. And then she'll think, you know what? I'd rather just let me clean the counters, right? She won't even bother. So it's like you have to be defensive about your time um, in addition to being offensive about your time as a mother. And I think that's what's unique. And that's what allows me now um, with this lens on my life and with all the research behind me to engage differently and to empower other mothers to engage differently. So that offense and defense is about chalking that boundary and, and mm -hmm. really feeling okay about taking it. Absolutely. And, you know, getting somewhat ruthless about your boundaries because the people in your life, as much as they love you, they are not inside your head. They do not know what it feels like to be you. And most of the work that you're doing is invisible to them. And we are, you know, awash in invisible work in our homes and often in the workplace. And that is eroding. Um, you know, women are at greater risk for so many, not only mental health uh, challenges, we're at greater risk for a lot of physical health challenges because of this burden. Um, you know, by the time you reach like age 44, you know, 86% of women are mothers. So the overwhelming majority of women in our society are navigating care of children, in many cases, care of aging parents or other loved ones, and care of ourselves gets squeezed out. That ends up becoming last on the list. You know, and the fact that, you know, listening to a podcast with um, Michelle Obama, who said, I will be the first lady on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but on Tuesday, th like whatever. She, she let the White House know she you want to talk about somebody who chalked a boundary. She was like, no, I am here. I'm a mother first and you can have my professional duties in that capacity on these days and work with it. You know, wow. Now, that's great to be at that level. It might be different if you're like you've worked your way up to be senior management at a company and you're so worried that you've worked so hard to, to, to get to that level of recognition and professionalism that you don't you're frightened that if you say I'm going to my kid's soccer game and they might think, oh, well, this other person doesn't have kids or this you know husband is going to delegate it to his wife or whatever. So why are we accommodating your competing demands? And we cower. And so I loved what you said about power in numbers, like that, that we need to have an allyship that says we're asking for something that's absolutely reasonable if we would all do it together. Exactly. Exactly that. And I'd say in the workplace, I'll just add that even though we are getting these messages or women in corporate America are getting these messages like, hey, you know, Use that standing desk, go for that walk, take your PTO time, you know, do your self-care. 
at the same time, they're being, you know, chastised if they have to leave a meeting early to go pick up a child or, you know, silently outed for not having their little green light on at all hours of the day and night to show that they're available for a chat. And if an email comes out from your boss at nine or 10 o'clock at night, and you're the one with the childcare responsibilities and other people on the team do not have those responsibilities, they're going to pick up that plum assignment before you are. They're going to be recognized as being on top of things in a way that you're not. And it's deeply unfair. Um, it's a problem with how work works and has worked traditionally, which on the workplace side of my organization, that is my other hat, right? I'm in organizations trying to change policies, benefits, and practices so that mothers, fathers, and all caregivers can do really fantastic work, but also have healthy, productive lives that include care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So I want to dig in a little bit uh, into that exact uh, topic now, because uh, I, I, too, have been hired during the pandemic um, by the HR branch of companies to say we see that our employees are struggling, um, that they see that the burden uh, of homeschooling and carrying on work and everything uh, was uh, disproportionately placed on their mom employees. And they wanted to support them. These HR people say, we don't want to leave our staff. Like we have invested largely. Turnover is expensive. We don't want to bring new people on board. We want to care for them. We want to make sure that they're, we're being supportive, you know, within this budget. <laughs> um, but the will is there. The will is there. I see it. Uh, but I don't necessarily know if they are listening well enough to know it's not enough just to bring in a speaker for one hour to say, see, we looked after your self-care. We had a lady that says you should get a manicure or you should, you know, turn off your notices, <laughs> whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Like it's so deeper than that, that if we're talking about systemic change and I, I mean, I personally find it interesting to see how we do this in different cultures um, because other countries have different cultures and different corporate cultures and there are places doing it way better than we are and we know that from them that we too could do it better if we made it important so what have you come to discover would truly be an improvement that we could whatever advocate for or you know raise our voices to support that really makes a difference not not don't get me wrong not that i don't want people to hire me for hr gigs <laughs> I don't want to shoot myself in the foot there, uh, but, but it's oh, a big this, problem to solve. <laughs> I would say, I, I don't think this problem is going to go away uh, quickly. I think we have lots of work to do <laughs> for the foreseeable future. Well, it, it's interesting. In the study, just looking at the data in the early like six months, maybe even the first year of the study, it kind of bubbled up into four categories. So when I go into a workplace, I will, you know, implore them <laughs> to focus on like these four categories, like one, flexibility. And by flexibility, that doesn't mean remote. <laughs> I, I'm like, sure. I mean, yes, people want that. And certainly 
women people want that more than non-women people. Like there's so many studies and including a recent one um, that came out that show that women are more likely to want to work from home uh, than, than men are. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And people of color are more likely to want to work from home than non-people of color. But flexibility to me is a full spectrum. Um, it means flexible expectations. In our research study, people at one point in the study wanted flexible expectations. This is when we were still in lockdown mode, more than they wanted a raise. Um, so being told that you have a certain goal or a certain key performance indicator that you have to meet that was set maybe you know the year prior when the conditions were completely different and perhaps you now have half the staff um, or your costs have you know doubled because of all of the you know labor shortages and supply chain issues but you're still being asked to deliver the same thing in the same time frame that like that's squeezing people that's that is you know squeezing the air out of people to try to meet unreasonable expectations. Um, flexible scheduling, um, being inclusive about meeting times, like please don't ask people to start their day at you know eight or 9 a.m. Like why? Um, if they have childcare responsibilities, that's harmful. If they have elder care responsibilities, that's also harmful. You know, avoid early mornings, late afternoons. Um, I also tell employers, in addition to flexibility and being very broad about how they think of it, to include childcare, either subsidized, curated, ideally destigmatized as part of what they offer, childcare and elder care, um, mental health care, ideally paid for, <laughs> subsidized, destigmatized, and modeling that mental health care is really a critical part of how they think about caring for the people. I tell leaders, like, if you're having a bad day, tell your people you're having a bad day. Um, let people know that they can have a bad day. If you're taking time off because you need a mental health day, tell your team that. So they will in turn do that. If you're gonna take a run during the middle of the day, tell your team that, so they will in turn do that. Um, and, then the, and then the last one is psychological safety. And really in, in you know, like embodying an environment where people can make mistakes, where people can share their ideas without, you know, worry that they're going to be like, you know, diminished if the idea isn't perfect. The ability to manage bullies and microaggressions in the workplace, which are particularly challenging for women, but also even more so for women of color. You know, those are the types of aggressions that hollow people out make them feel dehumanized, and over time, you know, deeply affect their mental health. So those are like the four pillars that I talk about on the employer side, and I give a lot of detail on how to model that in, in actual practice. You know, my, my experience has been that, I mean, yes, it's a mammoth change, but at the same time, there's a lot of times where um, people don't, uh, as, a, as a party of one, <laughs> you know, my life, my kids, my home, my, my employer, my corporate culture, whatever it is. And I find that they really need an invitation to say, have you asked, have you tried, have you, you know, I, I mean, I, I, don't, you, don't be defeated before you go out into the battlefield. Like, I mean, I worked with a mom who really was in a conundrum about, you know, childcare and drop off. And, um, she had a, a, a husband who, um, had disabilities that, you know, um, they had a ADHD kid and this kid would bolt in the parking garage and she couldn't go to work until she helped get the kid in the car and because of all, whatever. And I said, you know, could you, could you work remotely for an hour? This is before the pandemic, but you know, do you think that you could like work for home for the first hour or could you shift, start your, your start time? And she was like, oh no, I couldn't possibly. And I said, have you asked? And she's like, no. <laughs> and, and of course, you know, I just said, well, better to ask and have them deny than to just assume. And when she mm. asked, they were like, yeah, absolutely, if that's helpful. So, I mean, sometimes we, there is the power of one where we do have these assumptions that, yeah, there's a lot to be done. And I, I get there's whatever legislation and budgets and corporate culture and things that feel really overwhelming when we think of the whole thing. 
But there's also things that we can actually have some agency and, and try to do. And I think now time is really ripe because I think for me, the silver lining, one of the silver linings of the many to the, to the pandemic was we zoomed into everybody's homes and we suddenly mm-hmm. realized we have to look at our uh, corporate world holistically. They do have kids. They do have seniors. They have dogs jumping on their laps. They have kids demanding this. Like, you know, this is the CEO of the company. And you're like, oh, he's not the guy in the suit. He's the guy in the sweatshirt that's got the cranky two-year-old. It was so humanizing. And I, mm-hmm. I hope we never lose that holistic view that behind every forward-facing employee, there is their family. And we have to recognize that pillar of their life as being what they bring to work. And we want to support all of it, all of it. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm so with you on that. Well, it's interesting too. This is where power difference comes into play um, in some cases. And also this is where somebody who is part of a historically overlooked or marginalized group is going to have a different experience than someone who's not in many cases. But I will tell you my study, 3% of the mothers, since I've been asking the question, um, can you ask your manager for what you really need? <laughs> 3% say yes. So, oh, and wow. 97, yes. And 97 oh, I'm shedding percent. a tear. That's I know. 3%. 3%. A quarter, not a half. 3%. 3%. So <gasps> it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking but the psychological safety isn't there in most organizations. Now, again, this depends on what type of role uh, she is in, what type of industry she is in, what type of work culture she is in. But I will say on a positive note, if you are in a role where it really doesn't matter where you work, um, and many people are, especially now, then navigating remote versus hybrid, like, Many, most organizations are allowing for that. But if you have a special circumstance, I interviewed a woman last year, Alexis Hasselberger. She's a productivity expert. She said, present an idea as an experiment because no one wants to say no to an experiment. So you can suggest, hey, let's try this for a couple of months and then revisit it if it's not working well, if you want a certain accommodation made. And then what I tell people as well in terms of safety and numbers, there's a rise in employee resource groups in a lot of larger companies. So if that psychological safety isn't there with your boss or with your team, then ask the parents in the parent resource group or ask the other women in the women's resource group or ask the other professionals of color in the professionals of color group. Hey, have you dealt with this situation? How might I best advocate for myself? What other practices are in place here? So there are some options to ask, even if you can't ask directly, to your point. And more organizations are starting those alignment groups, you know, the Mm -hmm. Deloitte dads, specifically for for just for dads, uh, briefcapes, parents, another one, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to create some format for for conversation and connection so that maybe more of these experiments can happen. And, and, you know, we forget how far we've come too. remember when we thought if you wore jeans on Friday, you wouldn't be as productive. Or if you brought your dog to work, you'd get nothing done. Like there's these ideas aren't that long ago. They really aren't that long ago. And we realize people want to contribute. People want Mm -hmm. to work. If you give them extra time, they use it usually in productive ways. They don't squander their time. They usually become workaholics, this flexibility. If I, if I let you work whenever you wanted to work and I didn't make you accountable you'd probably just go off and do nothing it's like no they'd probably (laughs) break the boundary the other way and overproduce for you and we'd be here saying your psychological well-being says you should shut it down at eight o'clock or whatever um absolutely no i i agree i tell people on the workplace side i'm like everyone wants to be excellent at everything like people don't feel good if they're not doing great work um people also don't feel good if they're not the mothers that they want to be, um, if they're not the partner that they want to be, if they're not the child to aging parents that they imagine they'd be. So all of those like identity, you know, questions, like, am I meeting my own bar for this identity, um, including work, I think deeply affects people. 
What have you taken as tangible takeaways from your, your learning and your research and you're a mom, like you're working, you're out there in a very big way, spreading the word about all this. So like, what, tell me about your day. What, like, give me some of your, this is what it looks like at Leslie's house. What, what, how do you, how do you have the lived felt experience of everything that you're saying? Absolutely. Well, probably the most critical for me has been setting like non-negotiable self-care time. Um, and that is how I usually start my day. What, what's it's, it look like? What do you do? Yeah. So I go running. Um, now, these days, I'm going running after I get the kids ready for school, have them meet their breakfast, get them dressed, get them out the door. So after I leave the school, I will go for a run. And I'm usually out for like three and a half miles. So that is my morning reset. And since the pandemic, it's become, I've become an all weather runner. Um, <laughs> because for all that time that my gym was closed, I became someone who runs all the time and all the weather. And it's actually a beautiful thing. I did not think I'd like it. But once I got the right clothes for it, running in the rain or running in the snow, like I, I love starting my day outside. So being in nature, moving in nature, and having protected space that is largely quiet is really huge for me. Now, my children are school age now. Um, back when they were babies and toddlers, it was a little bit different, right? Like I, I still would run in the mornings, but sometimes like I'd be like trying to sneak out the door at like, you know, six o'clock and, you know, someone woke up and I would just put them in the running, put either my son or my daughter in the running stroller and give them a snack pack and put the rain cover on and off we'd go. That wasn't the same mind clearing me time sort of run, but I got the movement in. So if I had to kind of think about that time, it's like movement is really critical. Um, time alone is really critical, but I'm willing to trade that off if I have to in order to get the movement in and having a little space to just clear my head and reset just from a pure mental health standpoint is really critical. So if I, if I end up having to bring a kid on the run or I would take a run behind my kids on their scooters, which has happened, you know, countless times, then I would try to sit and I still try to do this midday and do a very quick, like five minute meditation. Um, in the mornings, before I even get out of bed, I try to spend 15 minutes just doing a just quiet meditation in bed so that I'm kind of approaching the day with a little bit more resilience and a little bit more energy. Um, mindfulness has been very big for me. Staying in the moment as much as possible, particularly when my kids are, you know, if they're talking over each other or they're talking over me or there's a lot of energy or they're arguing with each other, instead of like starting to tell myself some sort of story that I should have trained them better or I'm doing it wrong or my mother is a better mother than I am, all those things that we tell ourselves out of guilt, I shut that voice down and just get into the moment and really pay attention to what's happening and what they're saying. So that has been incredible for me. I try, it, it's not always easy, but I try, even if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, to take a brief walk sometime during the day when I'm starting to feel like tired. If I'm reading the same paragraph over and over again, or if I'm finding myself on LinkedIn for too long, looking at comments, but not wanting to engage with them, that's my sign that I'm tired and I just need to get up and walk around. Um, I am very big on nutrition and eating like food that fuels my body. So, and cooking is something I love to do. So I cook almost every day. Um, but I batch cook now so that I can make meals in a pretty you know short space of time. But that's something that's kind of a hobby and also a self-care thing. You and I could get along very well. <laughs> Thank you. I know. I'm like, you're up in Canada, very right? Very many of the same, you know, and again, it's easy to say, you know, if you love running, you get it, right? Like to somebody who doesn't run, it's hard to say, you want me to run in the snow and you call that self-care? That sounds like one horrific thing to add on to my pile of terrible things that are going on in my life. You know, but if you push through, um, you know, because I, I'm much the same and, and I, I don't know if this resonates with you, that, but uh, I remember uh, when my 
kids were little, well, first of all, I would say to parents, you can't compare how I do my life when my kids are teenagers to your kids that are toddlers, because I can leave the house in the morning. And if they wake up without me, I'm out for my run and they're getting themselves off to school because they're not little people who need me. I didn't, I wasn't doing these same my 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 day to day life was very different when my kids were two, three, and four than when they were sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. For Pete's sakes, so so don't don't look at what I'm doing as the expert who has it all figured out. I'm in a different stage of my life, so you know that's unfair. I did things very differently when I had little dependents that needed me for sure. I still Absolutely. did self care, but just differently. Absolutely. Well, and that's why I gave that example, the stroller, because even though, thank, thankfully, I just, I think last year gave the stroller away. Um, but it's, you know, it is different, but you have to have a plan like B, C, and probably even a plan D for anything that's important to you. And it could be movement, right? It could be like walking or running or swimming or whatever the thing is for you. Um, or if it's just that you really need time alone and you just need time to think and you just don't want to hear anything, whatever that like really critical thing is, have a backup plan for coverage because whatever time of day you plan on, something's going to happen during that time of day to compete for it and you're not going to be able to do it in the same way. So just know that and always have an alternative. So it's like, and for me, it was, oh, if I can't go running in the morning, especially when the kids are really little then I'm going to go running at lunchtime and I bring all my stuff into work when I worked in a physical place and, and I would shower at work if I had that or, oh, if it's not going to happen because I'm on a business trip during morning or afternoon, then I'm going to do it like in this little window before the dinner meetings, right? So I would always plan a backup. Um, and I think that's critical for any mom to know that protecting your thing whatever your thing is that makes you feel whole and fuels you up. It's, it's never going to happen at the perfect time of day or in the way that you anticipate. So give yourself like a plan B and C. Yeah. I know for me, um, it was a sort of a philosophical decision, which I guess goes to the hierarchy concept that you're talking about living, living my values and, and so I would start my days by saying, um, I come first. So I would wake up in the morning and I was always the first person awake. And so this is my time and I am looking after me. And so that was whatever it was, reading my favorite book or meditating, running, what it doesn't matter, but it was me time. And then I would turn myself over to my family because they were my second value. So that was making breakfasts and lunches and getting kids up and hearing about their night and whatever and connecting with my family before we went in disparate ways off to school and work and whatever, doing our, our learning and contribution back to society. So when everyone would leave the door at nine o'clock, I'd say, okay, now I've done my time. I've done my, my time with my family. Now I give myself to the greater world. And when the end of the day came, I would say, I, this is as much as I could give to the greater world and the good of others. And now I'm going to reconnect with my family. And we would do our like family time or, or whatever. And, you know, if I had maybe some extra time, you know, I might check back on emails and stuff and anything I couldn't get done. I had to kind of fight the FOMO of like, oh, well, look at her business is so much bigger. And she did this TV show and she did this. I'm going like, but then I would have to give up one of these other slices so I was just really cognizant of like, if I can't get it done in the time that I'm willing to give for my give back to the world, then I guess it doesn't get done. And maybe I could be more efficient. Maybe I could be more pr like, pr like, you know, I'm, uh, whatever I, but I was just really clear that I got my time and, and I find time at night. Again, this is my formula and I don't believe anyone should impose a formula on anybody else just to put these ideas out there for people to create their own internal structures. But I actually find, just ask yourself this moms, time at night, I felt that, why am I giving myself the crappiest slice of the pie? I'm exhausted, I'm tired, likely all I'm gonna do is watch crappy television. I can't even read a chapter of a book without falling asleep. I, I want to give myself the best slice of pie, which is when I get up in the morning and I'm refreshed. So I, you know, I started getting up at seven and seven became six and six became five because I loved my morning so much. And I gave up B 
being a night owl when I was a student, always studying late, 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 pulling all nighters for being, you know, in, in university and realizing that's, I, I don't like nights. Actually, I'm not a night that I'm not a night owl. I'm a morning bird and I am going to claim that time for myself. And I've stuck with that formula, but it's mine. I don't mean to impose it on others, but noodle that noodle that around. Absolutely. Well, you know, I have set up an ideal schedule for myself as well, like work-wise. And it's not always possible, but ideally, I protect mornings during the work part of my day for my creative tasks. I'm a writer, right? And a researcher, and they both take up a lot of brain space. They're very greedy. So I try to allocate that block where I have at least a couple hours that's uninterrupted doing like deep work for something that is cognitively challenging, right? Something that I love to do, but I want to kind of be interrupted while I do it. And then I will try to check emails and social media in shorter blocks, like right after that, and then have another block of like deep work time before I head into like meetings and conversations. So typically that's how I structure my day. And I try to stack all my meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I have more writing time um, and they are more deep work um, periods because I'm, I'm doing writing for the site, but I'm also doing writing for clients and I'm also writing, you know, so it's it just takes up a lot of time. Um, knowing that morning is my more clear productive time is kind of what allowed me to structure the day that way. And like you, the later evenings, I'm kind of mentally like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired. I do do some work after my kids go to sleep, but I try to cut that off by nine, um, by nine, nine 30. And then that like last bit might be like checking email, checking social media, um, doing a little bit of journaling. If I'm in the mood to do a little bit of journaling to kind of just get my mind clear before the next day. Um, and you know, I stopped watching television you know, I, I, I miss it. There are times where I'll binge watch something for like a few weeks at a time and then stop again for several months. But that allowed me to get more time um, that I could use as a business owner. As you well know, it takes up a lot of time. So those are just some little tricks in terms of how I've structured my schedule to make it fairly consistent and to use those blocks where I have the most energy as productively as I can. You know, and I'm just, uh, you know, going to summarize the, like what I hear is the theme there though, is please mothers know that you have, someone will always want your time. Somebody mm -hmm. will always want your opinion, your dollar, your duct cleaning, your PTA cookie, whatever, somebody to host Thanksgiving dinner. There is always going to be people chewing at your bones. And what I'm hearing you say is that's fine. That's a reality of life. But if you consciously decide that you have a goal of how you want to live your life and how you want to prioritize your mother's hierarchy of needs and you set down those boundaries and say, I'm not available on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays. I do my creative work in the morning. I take my kids to gym at this. If you can own it and protect it and learn the skill of saying no and to, to honor yourself enough to put your, to, to live the values that you hold in your head into the way that you walk the talk by being able to protect that time then you've got a life of meaning where you get it all, you get it all done on your own terms. Exactly. And well, and I'll add to that. It's, you get what's important done, right? It'll never be that you get it all, but what, what is all to you, right? And I loved the way you described your structure. Um, and if you are kind of theming it like, okay, certain amount of time for self care or self-reflection, whether it's movement, sleep, healthy adult relationships, stress management, whatever those things are, like you have that time. You have the time with, with your kids, right? A time to really bond with them. I mean, I realized for the longest time, I felt like I was just, and I still feel this way sometimes on the weekends. It's like I'm spinning around, cleaning up after them, making meals for them, taking them to and from the playground. But a lot of the time that I really wanted to have was time to really listen to them and play with them and engage with them and not just be the logistical like brain, right? Holding everything together. Um, so now I'm much more intentional 
although things are kind of a mess here, right? But I'm more intentional about- No, she's a human. <laughs> Leslie's a human. It's been outed. That's <laughs> true. Oh yeah, you would not want to say it's like not neat and tidy here anymore. That's that's one of the things I had to trade off. Gave that like, up, yeah. Yeah, like I could have a really clean and tidy house, which I love, or <laughs> I can have more quality time doing things that really matter to me and having the relationship I want to have with the kids. So I shifted in that direction. But all of that, like once it's your things, then everything else that you have to do feels better if some of that time was spent on your well-being and your priorities. And you don't need to put other people's priorities onto your plate. Um, and it, and you don't have to put other people's priorities for you anywhere on your calendar if you don't want to. And saying no and getting really like comfortable with the reaction that others have, which will not always be favorable, is important, I think, to protecting your own mental health, frankly. Oh, my gosh. I think that we've done a great, good service in our conversation and empowering <laughs> other listeners to want to really embed this into their lives, that giving permission. Oh, my gosh. Um, I want you to have the final word here. Is there anything that you wish that we had talked about or things that came up? Because we, you know, we went in many different directions and maybe you pinned something and, and we didn't close it off. I would just want to give you the final word. Absolutely. Well, I, I would encourage every listener, every mom to start to become really ruthless about managing her well-being time and and think about how much time she's spending on her well-being instead of how much time she's spending on her shoulds and on her to-do list and on her corporate work, because we're oriented to do that. And that's how I think we break, frankly. And that's how I broke. And it took me two and a half years to recover from burnout. So please, please, please do not let that be you. Um, I would encourage you, I, I do have an app that does that time check on my site, and it is available and free. So please like use it. It takes a minute a week. Just check how you're spending your well-being time at the top of the mom's hierarchy of needs. And you will start to change if you are spending more time in service to yourself. I would encourage you to give yourself the gift of support. Um, look for those places, those people, those resources that can take things off your plate. That is also, I think, a, a critical need right now. Um, I have a subscription for moms, if you are so inclined. Uh, it is a it is a well-being subscription where we send self-care packages on a quarterly basis. And in between, there's time with me for live events. There's like audio books. I pick some of the best of the best, like podcasts, books, TED Talks, like little short bursts that you can listen to that really fuel your you know, resolve around resetting and caring for yourself. Um, and we have a lot of fun in a private community for moms. So please join us if you are so inclined to get a little extra self-care support. So we will put all of the links to the mom's hierarchy of, of needs and the app. And we'll put all of that and where to follow you on social media. Go to the show notes. We'll make sure that everyone's plugged in. And please, please, please jump over and join Leslie's community. I'm going to. <laughs> My kids are flown and grown. I'm at that phase of life. Uh, but you never stop having the need to be inspired, to be balanced, to know your values, to, to walk the talk. So that we make it in the long run, not in not the long game, not the short game, right? <laughs> it's nice to do it with like-minded people. And I feel like I made a new friend today, Leslie. Thank you Thank so, you. so much. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I knew it would be. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.